Welcome to Truth Talk with John Morgan of Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. Good morning and welcome to Truth Talk. My name is John Morgan with the Traders Point Church of Christ. I'm here with our evangelist, Jeremy Bard. We're going to be opening up the scriptures to look at what the Bible has to say about a couple of different topics. Uh, We're going to talk some about baptism this morning. We're going to talk some about authority this morning. Uh, On on Sunday, Lord willing, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to be presenting a lesson uh, primarily on the idea of obedience. But as part of that, we're going to look at uh, our approach to God's authority in Scripture, and we're going to look at a couple different examples of those. One of those will be baptism, and so we thought we might take some time this morning to to just see what the Scriptures has to say about that. But I think before we start on the topic of baptism, it's important, as I mentioned, to really establish the fact that God has authority in these matters, because without that understanding and without that baseline, it's really difficult uh, to to make the assertion that baptism is necessary for salvation. Where are you getting those things? How come, how come you have to be baptized in order to be saved? So it's important to recognize God's authority in those matters. So I thought we could start there. So, so Jeremy, as you think about that, and not maybe not specific to baptism per se, but just looking at the idea of authority in Scripture, there's a lot of different things, whether you're going back to the Old Law or in the New Testament, where, where God gives his people commands, and some of them don't necessarily seem to make a lot of sense to us. Some of them seem very, very much in line with the way that we think. But regardless of that, how do we kind of make sense of God commanding his people to do certain things or not do certain things, and our responsibility to that? How do we, how do we really begin understanding the importance of authority in Scripture? I think in a lot of ways, we, we can start in a way with something that a lot of us, I think, understands. And that's, you know, you're playing a game, and maybe you're having some friends over, and you're playing a game in the backyard, and it's a game people are familiar with, but maybe because of the setup of your yard or, or just the way that you like to play that game, we like to institute something we call house rules. Mm-hmm. And people are familiar with that concept. Yeah. It's it, it may not be a rule that you're familiar with, but it's a rule that we use, and we're going to mm-hmm. play that way because we're playing at my house. Right. I mean, it, you know, it's that that kind of idea that's something we're familiar with. Now, on a much bigger <laughs> scale and much more important scale, in a lot of ways, is is God and His authority. And mm-hmm. it, it goes back, you made mention in the Old Law, and we'll uh, probably spend some time back in the Old Testament as well, but you can literally go back to the very beginning. Mm-hmm. God is the one who created the world. It is His in every way. And so you have at the very outset in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, these ideas that God has created it, it's his, he gets to make the rules. He created man. He gave man jobs to do. He gave man things that he can do, things that he can't do. And he's able to do that because the world was his. Mm-hmm. Man was his. He created man. And so you see it really from the very beginning, this idea of that God, he is the one who is in control. He is the one who gets the say 
And now, as you made mention, we'll talk more about this this morning, I'm sure, it, it then comes down to, is it something I'm going to obey mm-hmm. or is it something I'm not? But the whole generalized idea is pretty broad on the authority that God has because ultimately when it comes to us and the things that we're surrounded by, He has complete authority in mm-hmm. all things. And that's, I mean, that's the theme throughout Scripture, whether going yep. all the way back to the beginning, the world is God's because He created it. Man is God's because He created us. Uh, he designated the Israelites as his people. Therefore, their worship was his, and he established it. The church is God's. He established it. Therefore, he gets to set the rules for it. Salvation, which is what we're going to talk some more about this morning, it's God's. We cannot, we cannot save ourselves. It's right. God that gives us salvation and forgiveness of sins. Therefore, he gets to set the rules about those things. When we, I think when we put it in those terms... Very few people have a, have difficulty understanding that. That makes sense to everyone. If it's yours, you get to make the rules for it. The challenge then becomes putting that understanding into practice. Yeah. And that, that's where it really becomes difficult. And, and to your point of going back to the old law, I mean, we see that from, from the very beginning. I mean, Adam and Eve, the first two people that God created... They had a hard time with that. They didn't have a hard time understanding that they were created by God. They understood that. Right. But putting that into practice and recognizing the fact that God gets to set the rules, not me, they had a hard time with that. And they fell victim to, to that by, by doing something that God had explicitly told them not to do. And so we see from the very beginning that, that understanding authority and then putting it into practice are two very different things. And it's been a constant challenge for mankind throughout the generations, certainly with Adam and Eve and the Israelites and the early, early Christians and us today. We've always had a challenge putting that understanding of authority into practice and obedience. And so that's where this really, the rubber meets the road, I think, in a lot of different ways. How do we go from this intellectual understanding of God being in charge, therefore he gets to set the rules, and the personal application to obedience. That's where this really gets tough. Yeah, I think, you know, still just trying to keep it as simple as we can, I think in a lot of ways it comes down to we struggle with that. Certainly Satan has a big uh, hand in that. There's a question. As we see, he had a big hand even from the very beginning with with Adam and Eve. I mean, he is on the scene, and he caused a problem then and continues to cause a problem, you know, today. But what he is ultimately trying to do is he's trying to convince us that, yeah, God may have said something, but we know better, or mm-hmm. we yeah. can do it better. And right. then it, it comes down to, am I going to go with God's will, or am I going to go with my own will? And, you know, again, not, not to oversimplify things, because the application of obedience and authority is so big when mm-hmm. it comes to, you know, biblical things and religious things. So I don't want to seem like I'm just kind of, you know, trivializing or, or oversimplifying it. But ultimately, it comes down to that. Listen, are we gonna we're gonna follow God's will, or we're gonna go after my will? And mm-hmm. and when it comes to following God's will, we have to then look in areas of well, what, what does He have control over? What what is He now in a position to set the rules for? And yeah, He's got He's in a position to set the rules for everything because mm-hmm. everything is His. Right. And if we can just come to that understanding. Man, uh, obedience then can become much simpler. But you're right, it, it all comes down to authority. Can we recognize God's authority? Mm-hmm. We struggle with that because we want to give ourselves some authority, and right. that's usually where our struggle comes most of the well, time. We, we see that throughout the religious world today. I mean, there are men and women all over the world 
that are in positions of making decisions and setting rules for different churches and organizations all over the place. It, it happens everywhere we turn. And I think you make a good point. A lot of that stems from pride sure. and the desire to have control over things. I think some of it stems from uh, misunderstanding. And, and some of it, quite frankly, stems from just a stubbornness. You know, we, we all, from a very young age, I mean, you have, I have young children at home, and, and they want to assert themselves, even at a very young age, because they want to feel that independence, right? right? They, that's something that is ingrained within us, even from a very young age. But I, it's, it's incumbent upon me as a father to teach them that there is a, a chain of command here, so to speak, that at four or five years old, you don't get to make decisions about certain things. I'm going to make those for you. Right. Because I'm in a position of authority, and you need to learn obedience. And I think we we sometimes over we make things too complicated. <laughs> yeah, you know, as, as opposed to simplifying them down to what God truly wants us to see, which is He's in a position of authority. It's our responsibility to obey. And if we just approach it that simply, and we just read the Bible with that understanding that this is God's word, He is in a position of authority. It's incumbent upon me to obey. And if we just read the scriptures from that perspective, we will simplify everything. And that idea of of obedience will become much easier to us when we stop making it harder than it needs to be. Yeah, I mean, listen, you you want to break down a theme throughout Scripture from the Old Testament through the pages of the New Testament. It it is simply, listen, if you do things God's way, Mm -hmm. it works out. If you go against God's way, there's devastating consequences. Mm -hmm. And that is something that plays over and Mm -hmm. over and over. Now, there's lots of different characters, and there's lots of different circumstances and situations, but it is that over and over and over. If you do things God's way, it's going to be a beautiful beautiful and blessings will come. You go against God's way, it's devastating consequences. And that remains in effect today. Mm-hmm. And so uh, again, it, it then now becomes, listen, is that the way that I'm going to live my life or yeah. am I going to go about things in my own way? E- even in the religious, spiritual circumstances, that's the case. You, you made mention, you know, e- even, you know, denominationally. I mean, sometimes we ask that question, how, how is it today in 2019? We're just, we seem to be surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of different churches, you know, all claiming to follow God, but yet doing lots of different things. Well, 100%, 100% of every denomination that has ever started began with somebody going against what God wants. Mm-hmm. And then a group of people saying, I think he's got a good idea. And now suddenly you've got a following. I mean, it is mm-hmm. just as simple as that. It may be something very small, or it may be something very big. And now you have somebody saying, I just don't know about God's way. I think mm-hmm. I've got a better plan, or I've got a better way, or it works better doing it my way. And now we're going to veer off of God's way a little bit. And when we veer off of God's way, devastating consequences follow because of that. I think one of the primary areas that we see that is in our worship. Yeah. We, we see that in a lot of different ways within our worship, whether it's the day that we worship, the manner in which we worship, the use of instruments in worship, those types of things. And a lot of times that doesn't necessarily stem from a desire to go against God, but it grows out of this idea that I've got a better way of doing it, or this makes me feel a different way, that or this makes me feel closer to God or feel more spiritual, therefore I'm going to do it this way. When in reality, I think those moments, those moments 
are putting us in the situation of coming to the understanding of whether or not we're going to obey or not. I don't. I think I, I kind of imagine you know God in this in this situation where He's looking down on man, saying, "I've given you a plan on how I want you to worship. The church is mine. It's not yours. Now I'm going to see if you're willing to obey. I'm going to see if you're willing to submit your will to mine in this regard, because how you feel isn't necessarily important." Doing what God says because it's His, that's what He wants from us. And I think all that can be seen in a lot of different areas, whether it's in our worship. And then, of course, I think one of the probably the most obvious ways in the, the religious world today is the idea of baptism and, and whether or not it's, it's essential for salvation, whether or not someone has to be baptized in order to be saved. That, that's a topic of conversation that has been uh, in the religious world for, for generations now. And I think a lot of it, is, it stems from the same understanding or lack of understanding. Where does salvation come from? And who has the authority to dictate how it's achieved, how it's reached, how it's, how it's given? When, when man tries to put their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak, a little too much in that regard, then it opens up the door for you to do it your way, me to do it my way, him to do it his way. It doesn't matter because we all have a say in this as opposed to what we've been talking about, which is keeping it simple and recognizing that it belongs to God and God alone. I think that's really interesting, especially when we start to talk about, you know, things like salvation and we talk about, you know, God's plan and God's way. You know, you come to the New Testament in multiple different times, there is a parallel between the salvation of man in the pages of the New Testament and the salvation of Noah and the flood mm-hmm. in, in Genesis chapter 6. And when you start to think about just those two parallels, I mean, you know, you, the, the flood story in Genesis chapter 6 is something we're familiar with. But, you know, what stands out in, this, in that story is God asked Moses, or Noah, he asked Noah to build the ark, and he gives him very specific instructions. We often, you know, we'll talk about, you know, the wood, the gopher wood that it's to be made out of. But you read that chapter. It's not just the wood that's to be used per instructions that God gives. It is the length, the Mm -hmm. width, what is to be covered with, how many doors, how many windows. I mean, there are a lot of very specific instructions given to Noah there. And then what do you constantly see through that passage? Noah did all according to what God had said. I mean, you you get this picture of complete and absolute obedience Mm -hmm. in the exact way that God wants. And because of that, Noah and his family is saved from the flood. So when you get to the New Testament, and there are parallels drawn between God saving Noah in the flood and his saving of man through Christ, you you get those parallels, it is the exact same thing. There are specifics given when it comes to salvation. And just like Noah, we're not in a position to pick and choose the length or the width or the, the type of wood or how many windows or how many doors. We're not in a position because God has laid out the plan, and if I want to be saved, I'm going to follow the plan. That's what Noah did, and it's the exact same thing with us in the pages of the New Testament. Do I want to be saved? Yes. Well, God has laid out a plan, and if I want to be saved, I'm going to follow that plan exactly the way that he has laid it out. And so kind of feeding off of that parallel, I think, helps us when it comes to regards. I don't get to choose how big or how wide or what would. Just like Noah, he didn't get to choose. I don't get to choose when it comes to baptism. I don't get to choose when it comes to my faith or my repentance or my confession. I don't get to choose. All of those things play a role. And if I want to be saved, I'm going to follow God's plan. 
And I think there's, there's two different reactions to that. One is, hey, I don't know, I'd kind of like to have a say in this. But, but the one that, that comes to my mind as you're saying that, as you're kind of laying that out, the one that comes to my mind is, man, I am so thankful that I don't have to make those decisions. I am so thankful that God has laid this out for me so clearly that the weight of my salvation doesn't rest on my own understanding and my own ability to figure it out. And I am so thankful for that. I am so thankful that God has given us such a clear plan on how to be saved, on how to have our sins forgiven. That takes so much of the pressure off of us because now we get to see it so clearly laid out for us that the creator of the world, the one who owns salvation, the only one capable of forgiving sins, has has given us example after example after example of what he wants us to do to be saved. And therefore, it's just incumbent upon me to be humble and obey. I don't have to make those decisions. I see that as such a relief. It's a weight that's been taken off of me because of this amazing gift that has been extended to me that gives me the opportunity to have my sins taken away, and I just have to be obedient. I just have to recognize God as my Savior and follow His Word as He lays it out for us. And so in Acts chapter 2, these people who were listening to Peter preach the sermon, they had the exact same reaction. As Peter was teaching them about Jesus, the reaction was, what do we need to do to be saved? Just yeah. tell me. <laughs> right. You know, I, I recognize, I see what you're saying. Yes, Christ is the Savior of the yeah. world. What do I need to do? And, and the answer there is so clearly given was repent and be baptized. And they did so, and they, the, the church grew from there as time and time again throughout the book of Acts, that same process plays out. That it, that's exactly what the Lord wants from us. When we recognize Him and Christ as the authority on this matter— then the response we should have is, what do you want me to do? I'll do it. I mean, just tell me. I don't care what it is. Just tell me what it is, and I will do it. And in this case, in order to be saved, he very clearly has said he wants us to repent and be baptized for the, for, for the forgiveness of our sins. You know, not do we see it you know, happen right there in the book of Acts. I mean, you, you get it from the mouth of Jesus himself. Yeah, I mean, yeah. y- y- at the very end, after Jesus has been crucified, three days later he, he raises from the dead, spends you know, 40 days on earth after the resurrection, and then ascends to heaven. But right, right before his ascension, I mean, you have, you know, from Jesus himself at the end of the book of Matthew, he'll make the point that, listen, all authority has been given to me mm-hmm. on heaven and on earth. So the, the point is made right at the, very, at the very end, a reminding. I mean, it's not, you know, he, he had all authority. He's always had it. But right. it, it, that point is made. Listen, I, I have the authority. And then you have, uh, you know, there in, in Mark chapter 16, where he, he's talking to the disciples there, and, and he's, he's painting the picture of what's going to take place, of what's going to happen just a few days later in Acts chapter 2. He, he, listen, he, here is what I want you to do. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to tell this story to everybody, everybody that you can get to. That's what he says, every mm-hmm. creature, every person. I want you to tell this story. And then from Jesus himself, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. In Mark chapter 16 and verse 16. And so you have this, this command from Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in salvation to the, his disciples here, this is what I want you to tell people. And then as you made mention there in Acts chapter 2, listen, how, how did Peter know to say that? Well, because Jesus, <laughs> t- I mean, Pe- you know, Jesus told <laughs> Jesus him to told say him. it. So they're asking, well, what, what can we do about this? And he says, listen, you need to repent and be baptized, mm-hmm. every one of you. And so you see that continue you know, to, to play out in the book of Acts over and over and over. The exact same thing taught, 
The exact same story told, and when people are ready to accept Christ and be saved, the exact same thing's happening over and over and over again. And you just have to, you have to wonder when you, when you read about that, because it's amazing when you go through, especially the first few chapters of Acts, just the number of people that are coming to, to know Christ, to recognize Him as the Savior, and to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. It's amazing to read that. And you just wonder sometimes... If, if we, and I say that collectively, you know, as, as the world today, if we could just keep the message as simple mm-hmm. as they kept it in the, in the first century, wh- what amazing things could come from that? And, and I think as we get further and further removed from that and, and society advances further and further, the draw is to, to make this more complicated than it mm-hmm. needs to be. When, when the truth of the matter is, when you look at Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, I think we talked about this not too long ago, the message from the apostles during that time was almost identical every time. Every time. And it wasn't very long. It wasn't very complicated. They were preaching Jesus as the Savior who died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and rose from the dead. And the command in order to be saved and have your sins forgiven is be baptized. And time and time again, that's the message, and you see the responses. That's the message, and you see the responses. Man, oh man, if we could just, as a, as a, as a world, as a society, get back to the simplicity of the gospel in that perspective and recognize Christ for who he is and do what he says to do in order to be saved from our sins, then I, I have to believe that the results would be the exact same today that they were in the first century, that thousands and thousands of people would see Jesus for who he is and be obedient to him in baptism. Listen, God did not hide in his word how to be saved. I mean, he didn't, where now it's got to be deciphered. You know, yeah. you know my, my wife and I, we love, I, I hate to admit this, but well, I will, but I mean, <laughs> we, we love on television. We, we're big fans of watching like a treasure hunt shows where they're, they're never, they never find right. anything, but, <laughs> but it, it, they all start the exact same. They, they have some code of something, you know, a sheet of paper, a map, yeah. you know, a book or, you know, or something. And, and, and inside this is some hidden code and, and they've spent, however many decades and, you know, however many people trying to decipher this code. And if they can figure it out, they're going to be able to get to the treasure wherever it, wherever it is. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, we think, well, that, that's kind of what salvation is all about, that, mm-hmm. you know, God has certainly done that. And so pe- that's how people are coming up with all these different things. That's not it at all. <laughs> I mean, you read through the New Testament and it is, it is right there and yeah. page after page after page. Listen, you want your sins forgiven, it takes baptism for that to happen. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, as he's talking about his own conversion to Christ, and he's, he's reiterating the story as he does towards the end of the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 22, as he's telling that story again, he, he, you know, he makes that point when he comes in contact with Ananias, and Ananias is, is there, and I don't know if you can get any more plain than, yeah. listen, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, washing away your sins. And so you have, it's just right there. And, and then as Paul will continue, there we see him doing that himself in the book of Acts. But as he continues to write, he talks about baptism and what baptism does in, in other places, like in Galatians chapter 3, and certainly in Romans chapter 6. I mean, it's very plain, as you made mention. It's very easy, as you made mention, and it just simply comes down to, am I willing to go about it in God's way, or am I going to invent my own way? Mm-hmm. And if we're going to invent our own way, we've already talked about it. Listen, in the Bible, 
You go with God's way, things work out. Mm -hmm. You go with your own way, things don't. And it absolutely applies here with salvation. Yeah, I was just looking at at 1 Peter chapter 3 and and Galatians chapter 3 as you were talking about that. And again, you know, you mentioned Romans chapter 6 as well. There are so many instances throughout the New Testament, not just in the book of Acts, where it's almost as if at this time, this shouldn't even be in question. Right. You know, there, there comes a point in which in, in Acts, in the early parts of Acts, it seems as if this is being introduced. You know, they're, they're teaching this to people who are, who are not familiar with it. But as it's just a few years go by and Paul writes his letters to the different churches in the area and those types of things... He will speak about baptism almost in the sense of, you should already know this. this I'm, not, I'm not teaching you something new here. I'm not introducing a new subject to you. But he speaks about it in the sense maybe explaining it a little bit more or simply just coming outright and saying it as he does in 1 Peter chapter 3 that, hey, this is how you're saved. You should know this by now because of all of the teaching that's already been done about this. And I think sometimes we, we as, a, as a group, as a society, we're, we're constantly itching for something new. Yeah. You know, we want something new and something different and something unique. I even feel that draw sometimes, and you probably have too, when preaching. It's always a challenge sometimes because, you know, you, there's this draw to somehow present something a little bit new and different. But when in reality, when you stop and think about that, it's, it's not my responsibility to make things new and different. It's my responsibility to teach the Bible in its simplest form so that people can understand it. But I think sometimes as, as we progress, we have this desire for something new. It doesn't matter what it is. We just want something new. Right. And I think that has drawn us away from the simplicity of the Scriptures. And I think Paul and some of the other authors in the New Testament were dealing with that. Some Even just a few years removed from Christ's ascension back into heaven and the, the apostles going about teaching the gospel, they were already beginning to deal with some of that as there were, as there were people who were trying to to just make a name for themselves by bringing something new to the table. And that's a real danger that we're going to face today. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. There, there is that temptation to overcomplicate things. And we, we try to, especially with things religiously, I think our society, and maybe we can go back, you know, in history, now you can go back hundreds of years, and, you know, and see how it, in the religious world, how we, we had the, you know, the, the issue where, we were almost trying to convince people that there are some people that can understand what God mm-hmm. wants and some people that can. And so right. I think we still battle that. Maybe not yeah. on the same level as we did hundreds of years ago, but I, I, I think we still battle that, you know, a little bit today where you have, you know, you have a preacher that, listen, he went to seminary and he studied uh, theology for six mm-hmm. years. So surely he's going to know more about it than me. I didn't do that. So I can't open my Bible and, right. and really understand it. And even when we open it and we see it, we then try to convince ourselves it just simply can't be that mm-hmm. easy. Well, well, guess what? Yeah, it can. And, and I think it can because God wants everybody to get it. I mean, again, we've already made mention. He, he's not trying to fool anybody. He's not right. trying to present something to us that, you know, it has to be decoded. You know, you have to have, you know, a, a degree in cryptology to be able to decipher what God wants. No, yeah. he wants everybody to see it because he wants everyone to be saved. Mm-hmm. And that's what he wants. That's why he gave his son. Yep. I mean, he gave his son so that everybody will have an opportunity for salvation. And so he, he's made it as easy as we see it throughout the pages of the book of Acts, where people were presented with it, 
And ultimately, they just have to make that decision. Am I going to go about it through God's way, or am I not? Because it really comes down to, do I want salvation? Yeah. And if I want salvation, it's God's to give. That's the point you made at the very beginning of our conversation. If I want salvation, I'm going to go about it through God's way. If not, well, then maybe I can try to invent something else. Well, you, know, you and I both have done some Bible studies at the Juvenile Detention Center here in Indianapolis from time to time. And one of the things that comes up a lot in, in studying with them is these are kids who most likely have been peppered from a lot of different angles throughout their life with different religious doctrines and those types of things. And so they'll bring some of that up sometimes in our study. Well, so-and-so told me this, or this person told me this, or I've heard this, or, or I've read that. And, and you can just tell like in these kids' minds how confusing all of this is yeah. because they're hearing so many different things from so many different people. And, and they have just flat out asked me before in being in that room with them, like, why should I, why should I listen to you? What, what makes you any different than anybody else? And, and my response to them has been and it will continue to be, nothing makes me different than anybody else. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to read your Bible and determine this for yourself. Right. And that should be the message for all of us. I don't care what the, the letters are behind your name for the fancy degree that you've gotten. What, what you need to do, what I need to do, what everybody else needs to do is open up the Bible and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through the Word so that you can understand what the Lord wants you to do. It really is that simple. But there are so many voices out there, so many right. people out there, many of whom we respect, sure. who, who, who make things complicated, who all are saying different things. It can be really confusing at times. So the message needs to be, just allow God to be the authority. Right. Just allow Him to speak to you through His Word, and it's your responsibility then to be obedient to Him. And if we keep it that simple... Keep it that simple, then things will work out for us. Yeah, listen, it's, it is, comes down to turn all those things off and open up what God has to say. Yeah. Because ultimately, listen, full circle, He is the one that makes a difference. He is the yeah. only one that makes a difference. He is, well, He is the only one that has a say. Maybe that's right. the best way to say yeah. it. I mean, yeah. He's the only one that has a say. Yeah. And, and we've, once we come to that realization, you open up God's Word, and it is right there for everybody to grab hold of it. Yeah. All right, we'll go ahead and stop there. I, I want to thank everyone for taking a few minutes to, to study along with us. Hopefully this has given you something to think about. Um, and again, if you have any questions or anything, certainly feel free to reach out to us on, on Facebook. We'd love to engage with you more on that. Before we stop, we want to invite you to come and worship with us if you have an opportunity to do so. We meet at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings for Bible class, followed by worship at 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. Sunday evenings, you're more than welcome to come and join us for any of those that you might be able to. You can also follow along on our website, traderspointchurch.org, and on Facebook as well. Uh, so please follow along with us there as we continue to, to work together to try and you know, be obedient to God in any, every way that we can. So thanks again for your time. We'll talk to you again next week. You've been listening to Truth Talk with John Morgan of the Traders Point Church of Christ. Traders Point Church of Christ is located at 8220 West 82nd Street in Indianapolis. More information about worship times and Bible study can be found at traderspointchurch.org. You can hear Truth Talk every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here on 98.9 FM WYRZ.